First Peter, still First Peter chapter one, <clears throat> and let's start reading. Let's start reading <clears throat> again. We'll overlap a little bit. We'll start reading from verse verse uh, uh, ten. As to this salvation, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to you made careful searches and inquiries, seeking, seeking to know what person or time the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating as he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you in these things, which now have been announced to you through those who preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Therefore, prepare your minds for action, keep sober in spirit, Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in your ignorance. But like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior, because it is written, You shall be holy, for I am holy. So the first two verses in this in this chapter were the salutation, and then verses three through twelve were were uh, indicatives. They were not commandments, but things that are that are strongly suggested that we do. But in verse thirteen, the the tone changes. In verse thirteen, all the way through chapter five, verse eleven, everything switches to imperative meaning that these are now not suggestive, not strongly suggestive, but these are, these are commandments. So the New Testament has many commandments in it that could keep us quite busy. We don't, we don't go by the 613 commandments of, there in the Mosaic Law, but the New Testament has many commandments, and there are many commandments here for us. And so that starts now in chapter 1, verse 13. He says, therefore, this is then based upon what he had said just above. He talks about how these prophets had really studied diligently to bring to us this understanding about Jesus, who was then preached to us by the apostles. And then he says, therefore, because of this, verse 13, prepare your minds for action. So think about this. He says that when you study the scriptures now, when you walk in faith in this way, you are to prepare, we are to prepare our minds for action. We are to prepare our minds for action in this. You don't normally think about preparing our minds for action when we study the Bible. Uh, that's not something we normally really think about. You know, I, I, I know I'm going to be really, really pushing my, my, my brains when I when I uh, when I go to college, and and uh, I got to start studying so many things in college, but we don't really think about that with with our with when 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 we're looking at the Word of God. But it says you prepare your mind for action. Now, there's a lot of studies in the difference between the brain and the mind, uh, and and there's there's a lot of suggested. Uh, uh, suggestive things. Now, is there a difference between the brain and the mind? For those who study this, there's a clear difference. Uh, the mind being something a little bit more abstract, the brain being the matter that is actually between your ears. And, and, uh, um, and some people want to say, no, the two are, are exactly together. But in any case, we are to be diligent about preparing ourselves for study. 
We are to work hard at the study of the Word of God. This takes work, it takes study. It says, be sober in spirit. This sober has nothing to do with not being drunk. It's never used in the context of being drunk or not being drunk. This is something that is suggestive of keeping alert. We are to keep alert. We are to have our minds prepared and keep alert. So this is the whole idea about what Jesus says when he brings in. He says, we are to love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our strength, and with all our mind. That is something that Jesus himself brought in. These other aspects were revealed in the Old Testament. When Jesus uh, uh, spoke about this, that, that, that the greatest thing is we're to love God with everything, Jesus is the one who brought in with our mind, with our intellect. We're really to love God with, with everything that we have. Jesus brought that concept in. Here we're to prepare our minds for action. We're to be about things. We're to do things. We're to keep sober. You know, it's interesting. Uh, uh, we we had this this friend visiting us uh, a few weeks ago, and uh, I don't know she may be in the class today because she said she may come. She she's here at MD Anderson uh, 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 for some treatment, but uh, she and I met my first year of graduate school. My first year of graduate school, I was engaged, but I wasn't yet married. Uh, uh, Shereen and I got married in in New York State. And then I went to my first year of graduate school engaged, but not married. And we married at the, at the end of my first year of graduate school. And so, so this woman met me, uh, um, when, 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 uh, I was just starting graduate school. So my daughter over dinner, my daughter met her, uh, because she came over our home a week ago for dinner. And my daughter met her and my daughter said, what was my father like? when he was in graduate school. So, you know, they always want to uh, find some dirt on their parents or something. And, and so, so this woman said, your father was very serious. He was just focused on his work and very serious about things. And I really was. I mean, was, I was focused. I was serious. Shortly after I had arrived at graduate school on campus, I, I started this, uh, I joined this church and I started this, this uh, door-to-door outreach ministry. And and uh, uh, one night a week, I was knocking on doors all over the all over the the neighborhood. Uh, any non-campus housing, any non-university housing, the university housing, I wasn't allowed to do it unless I had been invited to a particular door. Uh, uh, but the 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 uh, the non-university housing, I was going around and doing this and and knocking on every door. And then one other night a week, I was always having uh, 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 I was having uh, Bible study in my room in the graduate dormitory there. So I was very serious about this. So it's interesting that, that I didn't even remember some of these things of, of my being so serious that that, that that image was coming through just to my colleagues at work. But it apparently was. We are to be serious. We are to be sober in our actions and be about the work of the Lord. This is something that it's not just suggested that we do now. This is something that we are commanded to do, to be serious about this sort of action, to be serious about our work in this. This is what we're to be serious about. He says, keep sober in spirit. Then he says, fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. This is a very interesting portion. I just, I've meditated all week on this one sentence. Actually, I've meditated for two weeks on this one sentence. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And I'm not sure, I, I, I looked this up in a commentary, and the, in the commentary, 
the person writing the commentary wasn't nearly as struck by this as I have been struck by this. I mean, we are being commanded to fix our hope completely on grace that is going to come to us in the future. And this grace is going to come at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So when Jesus Christ appears, there is going to be a special grace that is going to come to us. And, and uh, th- this special grace that is going to come to us. And so as I was thinking about this, you know, I, I, I'd like to think about w- what other verses do, does, does something like this speak about. So if you look in 1 John chapter 3, verse 2, 1 John chapter 3, verse 2, it says, Beloved now, it says, Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not appeared as yet what we will be. We know that when he appears, we will be like him because we will see him just as he is. And everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself just as he is pure. So what, what John tells us uh, in 1 John chapter 3, verse 2 and 3, he says, we're children of God. He says, but we don't really quite know what we're going to be like. It's not yet appeared as yet what we will be. He says, but we know this, when he appears, we will be like him because we will see him just as he is. When he appears, we're going to be all the more like him. There's something special that's going to come when Jesus appears and it's going to make us all the more like him. It's going to make us all the more like him. And, and, uh, and you think about this, that when Jesus appears, we're going to be all the more like him. There's going to be some special grace. It's not in ourselves. Oh, now I see you. Now I can be like you. I can just be just like you because I see you. No, if there's nothing in ourselves to do this. There's a special grace that's going to come upon us when we see him. That's going to make us all the more like him. And it says that when we become all the more like him, it says, and everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself just as he is pure. As we think about this, it tends to purify us as we think about the grace that's going to come upon us. It causes us to purify ourselves. And so when you, we look back in, in, in verse 13 of, the, of 1 Peter chapter 1, it says, it says uh, uh, um, fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. There is this grace that's going to be brought to us. And then the next verse is, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lust, to, to, to the former lust which were yours in abundance. This whole idea that things are going to change as we fix our, 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 our attitudes on this. I had never before realized that I was to put emphasis upon meditation on the grace that I am to receive when I see him. That's exactly what it says here. It says, fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. I am to think about that grace that's going to be brought to me at the revelation of Jesus Christ. There's a special grace that's going to make us more like him. And if you, and if you turn back, turn, turn back to, to Romans Romans chapter 7. Romans chapter 7. 
again, you see something that, 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 that I kind of, I, I thought about as, as I was going through this. I get these other verses in my mind that, that bring me, bring me back to this. And you see this in Romans chapter seven. There's a struggle within Paul in Romans chapter seven, verse 21. I find then the principle that evil is present in me, the one who wants to do good. For I joyfully concur with the law of God in the inner man. But I see a different law in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin, which is in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will set me free from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So then, on the one hand, I myself with my mind am serving the Lord and but on the other, my flesh, the law of sin. So you might remember as we went through this in the book of Romans, there's this struggle that believers have. Christians have this struggle. And and again, many young believers, they come to me and they're like, they have this struggle. They say, you know, I, I end up doing this wrong and I'm trying to do good. This is a struggle that indicates that you're a believer. Unbelievers don't have this struggle. This is a, this is a struggle that's unique to believers. Because they know that they should be one way and they act another. And Paul says, who's going to set me free from this? Paul himself is struggling struggling in this. And then it is revealed to us that that there is going to come a day when grace is going to be poured out upon us. A special grace is going to be poured out upon us when we see him that is going to make us like him. And this grace is something that we are to look forward to. We are to think about and thinking about this, it will help to keep us more pure. It's a really interesting passage, this verse. And then he goes on, he goes on in, in, in verse, uh, verse 14, as obedient children, this is in first Peter, first Peter now, chapter one, verse 14, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts, which were yours in your ignorance. He says, okay, things have now changed. You are to not be conformed to the former lusts. You know, he says, before you were a believer, many things you did, it was just out of pure ignorance. You were told by the world that this was fine. You were okay with it. You did it. He says, that was in your ignorance. Now you've got to change. We are to be different now that we are in Christ. We can no longer enjoy the former things and put enjoyment in the former things that, that, that we were doing before. We are obliged to change. That is the walk of the Christian life. We can't do the things we formerly did. Not anymore. There's a way that we have to change. Uh, uh, there's, some, there, there's something that we have to do differently. And, 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 uh, um, uh, this is, this is ju- just, just the, the, the way that we have to change. Let me see if I can find this key verse. Um, no, let me find this. Okay. So I, w- I was actually studying the, this, this Psalm this week, Psalm 101, Psalm 101, verse two and three, Psalm 101, verse two and three says this, I will give heed to the blameless way. When will you come to me? I will walk within my house in the integrity of my heart. I will walk within my house in the integrity of my heart. I can't, and, and, and I'm speaking to myself, all right? I'm speaking to myself. I can't just in the, in the privacy of my own home, indulge in things that I used to indulge in when I was an unbeliever. 
I can't think, well, you know, nobody's here. I'm in, in my own home. The scriptures clearly tell me I will walk within my house in the integrity of my heart. I can't hide behind this, well, I'm, I'm in my, my, my home alone, it's okay. No, I can't do that. The Bible calls us to something greater. The Bible continues to call us to something greater. And I know the world would say, well, you know, that's, that's, that's an individual's business. You have no right going there. Look, it's not me. It's the Word of God. God has every right going there. God goes there. This is His Word. He says, I will walk within my house in the integrity of my heart. I will set no worthless thing before my eyes. What I watch on YouTube, I have to really control what I watch on YouTube. I will set no worthless thing before my eyes. I hate the work of those who fall away. It shall not fasten its grip on me. Because this thing has a way of fastening its grip on me. It says, I will walk within my house in the integrity of my heart. I will set no worthless thing before my eyes. This is what the Word of God calls us to. It calls us to something deeper, to something greater. Uh, 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 so, for example, there, there's, there's another verse in Proverbs, um, Proverbs chapter 3. Verse 7 and 8. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 7 and 8. Do not be wise in your, in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. So if there's something evil, I am being commanded to turn away from it. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. We are commanded to turn away from evil. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Here's what's going to happen. The result of that is it will be healing to your body and refreshment to your bones. It will be healing to your body and refreshment to your bones. Is there depression? Is there loneliness? Is there sorrow? Is there pain? It will be healing to your body and refreshment to your bones. When you turn away from evil, it will be healing to your body and it will be refreshment to your bones. This is the promise. And you think that this is just Old Testament stuff? It is not. If you look in in, uh, Colossians chapter 3, verse 25, Colossians chapter 3, verse 25 says this, Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for their wrong, and there is no favoritism. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for their wrong, and there is no favoritism. When we do wrong, there is repayment for your wrong. Imagine this. Imagine in your mind that every time, every time I do wrong, something, there, there, there is a penalty for that. I will not lose my salvation. That will not go away. No way, no way. Cannot happen. If you be in Christ, you cannot lose your salvation. That's not going to happen. But it will bring pain into your life. It will bring pain into your life. Uh, th- this is it, it is hard. The the, the uh, um, uh, so 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 it, it it talks about in, in the book of Proverbs. It talks about the, the way of the sinner is hard. It is a very hard way. We bring hardship into our lives through this. <clears throat> now you look. Well, why why do I have to do this? Why do I have to do this? Well, God explains why. If you look at the next verse in First Peter, in First Peter chapter, chapter one, verse fourteen, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in your ignorance. 
But like the Holy One who called you, be yourselves also in all your behavior. Because it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. That's the reason why we are to walk in integrity. Because He is holy, we should be holy. That's all it takes. He says, you are to be holy because I am holy. Is that it? Yes, that's it. You are to be holy because I am holy. You are to be holy because I am holy. That, that reference in Colossians was Colossians 2 verse 13, was, uh, um, uh, I'm sorry, was uh, Colossians 3.25. Colossians 3.25. Anyway, you are, we are to be holy because God is holy. That is it. That is all that he has to do. All the, because he is holy. Because when we are like God, our lives go so much better. When we are like God, we are pleasing to him. When we are like God, we do so much better in life. When we are like God, it keeps pain from coming in our life. When we are like God, it keeps us from going into error. It keeps us from bringing all sorts of pains into our life. Be holy because I am holy. It is that simple. How does God explain this? He says, you are to be holy because I am holy. That's it. That's all the explanation it needs. I don't have to talk to you all about these. You're to be holy because I am holy. I want you to see something. uh, uh, I have a, a little video to play for you. And it's by Jordan Peterson. Now, Jordan Peterson is not a Christian. He's a very popular clinical psychologist. He is not a Christian. And, uh, but he has a great respect for both the Old and the New Testament. He loves the teachings of Jesus. He loves the, the Bible. But he is not a believer. I pray one day he becomes a believer. But, uh, uh, but as a clinical psychologist, what has he seen? What has he seen about disobedience in a person's life? What has he seen? And, and uh, so let me sh- try to share that with you. And hopefully you'll be able to hear this. terrified at the revelation of the structure that governs our being. One of the things that's so remarkable about the Old Testament, this is another thing Nietzsche commented on, he was a real admirer of the Old Testament, not so much of the New Testament. He thought it was a sin for Europe to have glued the New Testament onto the Old Testament because he thought the Old Testament was a really accurate representation of the phenomenology of being. It's like, stay awake, speak properly, be honest, or watch the hell out. Because things will come your way that you just do not want to see at all. And it might not just be you. It might be everyone you know and everything about your culture that is demolished for for generation after generation. It's like, stay awake and be careful. And I, I think that people only don't believe that when they're being hubristic. And I think that most people know that deep in their hearts. You know, when you get high on your horse, that happens fairly often. If you have any sense, you think, geez, I better be careful and tap myself down a fair bit because if I get too puffed up, man, something's going to come along and take me out at the knees. And everyone knows that. Pride comes before a fall. It's like, if you have any, that's why it says in the Old Testament that fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. It's like, I've never, in in all my years as a clinical psychologist, and this is something that really does terrify me, I I have never seen anyone ever get away with anything at all, even once. You know, there's that old idea that God has a book, you know, and keeps track of everything in heaven. It's like, okay, okay, you know, maybe it's not a book. Fine. But that is a really useful thing to think about because, well, maybe you disagree. Maybe you think people get away with things all the time. I tell you, I've never seen it. What I see instead is that 
thing happens, right? They, someone twists the fabric of reality. And they do it successfully because it doesn't snap back at them that moment. And then like two years later, something unravels. And they get walloped and they think, oh my God, that's so unfair. And then we track it. It's like, but what happened before that? This. Well, then what? This. And then what? This. And then what? Oh, oh, this. Oh, that's where it went wrong. It's, yeah, because you can't twist the fabric of reality without having it snap back. It doesn't work that way, and why would it? Because what are you going to do, twist the fabric of reality? I don't think so. I think it's bigger than you. You know, and I think that one of the things that really tempts people is the idea that, well, I can get away with it. It's like, yeah, you try. You see how well that works. It's like you, you get away with nothing. And, and that is the beginning of wisdom. And it's something that deeply terrifies me. And, you know, ever, ever since last September, when I came to more, like, broader public attention, one of the things, I've been terrified of making a mistake because I certainly know I'm more than capable of making a mistake. And thank God, so far, either I haven't made one or no one's found out about it. So, but it's like, you know, we walk on a very thin and narrow edge. And we're very lucky when things aren't degenerating into chaos around us or rapidly moving to far too much order. And it's not an easy thing to stay on that line. And you can tell when you stay, you're on that line because the things are deeply meaningful and engaging when you're on that line. But if you're not existentially terrified about the consequences of wavering off that, then you are truly not awake. Okay. Yes. All right. So what was really striking is that just from a clinical psychology perspective, he has never once, not even once, seen a person get away with anything ever. Think about that. This is exactly what we read in Colossians 3.25. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for their wrong, and there is no favoritism. If we really thought about that, that whatever I do, I'm going to pay a price for, would it cause us to say, wow, I need to be holy because he is holy? We can't mess around with this stuff. We're not going to lose our salvation. But I'll tell you, a lot of things start little and we, we allow them to fester and they become bigger and bigger problems. You know, you, you become flirtatious with somebody at work. Some married guy gets flirtatious with a secretary. I mean, a kind of innocent little flirtatious thing, you think. And then, and then you end up taking her to lunch. And then, uh, you know, you end up touching her hand at lunch and you know before you know it you're 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 in a motel room during your lunch breaks and and uh it ends in the loss of your marriage and then 7 years later your 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 daughter her life has just fallen apart and and uh she's trying to kill herself I mean, you say, what, what's, what's this? Why would my daughter want to kill herself? Well, it's interesting. You know, you track this thing back to a series of things that happened because of an event when we're not careful. And the type of thing that I'm telling you is, is not just some fiction. These are real stories I'm telling you about. These are real things that I've seen in people's lives. We have to be really careful. We are to be holy because he is holy. That's the bottom line. 
be holy because I am holy. And that is a quote from the Old Testament. It says it in Leviticus 11, chapter 11, chapter 19, chapter 20. It says this sort of thing that be holy because I am holy. He says, he says, little children, he says, look, I love you, but you're going to have to be holy in your walk. This is an imperative. These are New Testament commandments that are upon us. We are to be holy as he is holy. It starts with little things. I'll tell you, if you bring, you, you know, you bring pornography, you, 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 you continue to walk in this thing of pornography. And I, I used to be addicted to pornography. I got addicted to pornography at the age of 14. I got saved at the age of 18. And the Lord delivered me from pornography. That very day, He delivered me. That was unusual. I'm telling you what happened to me when I got saved. It was unusual. I had many other problems in my life that I was not delivered from, that, that, that years and years of struggle. But that one I was delivered from. So I know the draw of pornography. But if you continue to allow this thing to fester, what will happen is you will bring it into your marriage. And if you are so proud as to think that, well, when I'm in my marriage, I'm not going to need it, so I won't bring it in, that's a lie. That is a lie. You'll bring it in and it will start to, to, to just pick away at your marriage. And uh, uh, you think, well, my wife won't know about it. Oh, she'll know about it. She'll know about it. It will bring destruction into your marriage. It will bring destruction into your children's lives. These sort of things have an effect. And we are, to, we are called to holiness. The world, the world is telling us all of these things are fine. How far do we have to go? How far do we have to go? I mean, even... Even the most woke person today must have a limit to say that there's got to be a limit to this, to, to, to all of this immorality. Is bestiality okay too? Sex with animals, is that okay? I'll tell you, at the rate things are going, within a couple of years, it's going to be just fine. And people are going to say, stay out of the, stay out of my life. That's between me and my pet dog. I mean, they stay out of my life. Uh, uh, is polygamy okay? Is, 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 is that going to be okay as well? Is, is, I mean, the way the world is going, and it's going very rapidly, accepting all sort of things that were never previously accepted. What is going to be your breaking point? The Word of God calls us to something different. And I'll tell you, what's happened in the class, and I've seen this in my own, what's happened in the class, when I have spoken like this, when I've spoken against specific sins that the world is saying is fine, that the Bible says is not fine, I've lost people. They say, well, you, you know, Tour is just just too traditional in his views, and they leave. They leave. Uh, if you want to walk with Jesus, these things are going to keep coming back to you, no matter where you go. You can find a group that'll that'll go to some extent, but at what point? What is going to be your breaking point? Is bestiality okay? Is is having numerous spouses okay? Is that okay? Is that bad? What happens in two years if the woke crowd says that is good? That is fine. If psychologists say, oh, okay, that's okay. That's okay. Then you're going to be there? I mean, what is going to be your breaking point? If we don't take the Word of God as our standard, what will be the standard? And I'll tell you, you violate in these things, it will not go well. There will be reward. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for their wrongs. 
It's not that we lose our salvation, but the way of the sinner is hard. It brings hard things into our life. When we tell a little lie thinking it's not going to do something, it's just like Jordan Peterson says. It, it, it propagates and then there's this big thing that happens and it all tracks back to that little lie. These little things bring destruction. And he's calling us to holiness. Should I not preach it? What do you want me to do? You want me to say that everything the world that's, that the world says is good today, I should say is good? I can't. This is what the Bible says. And I know it, it bothers young people. It bothers young people when I, when I take a stand and I say, I love the unborn. I love babies in the womb. I love them. They are a treasure. And I, I, am, I am just, just love life. I never want to take human life, ever, ever. At what point? At what point? And, and, and I've lost people in the class. Can you imagine? I mean, people who, who love the Word of God and feed off of this, and then I, and I say that I'm pro-life, and they just, they just say, how, how can you be? How can you be that way? And they leave. And I hate to see people leave, but I can't change. I can't go against what the Word of God says because I know what's going to happen. I know what the truth of the Word of God is. And I know that, that you, you know, people leave because of these sorts of things. But I'm just telling you, I, all I can do is, is speak life. I have to speak what it says. There's a way that we're supposed to act. There are things that we, we didn't know. In, in, when we were unbelievers, it says, it says you were ignorant in these things. It says, obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in your ignorance. There are things that, that we didn't know about, but now we come into the body of Christ, we learn it's different. We have to be different. We are to be holy because God is holy. If you don't know the Lord, it is very hard and it is, the scriptures say, impossible to walk in these things without knowing the Lord. I urge you to contact me. Contact me today. Send me an email to tour at drjamestour.org. Send me an email and we will get together today. I'll get together with you today by Zoom. And I'll share the gospel with you. And you can have victory over these things. If you know the Lord and you're struggling with sin, I urge you to get with somebody that you trust and share these things and have somebody praying with you. You're not going to surprise anybody. I mean, you're not going to surprise them. I mean, if you, you share with a pastor, you share with somebody, uh, uh, you're not going to surprise them. The, the things that you go through, the things that you struggle with are common to many, many people. And uh, But he's calling you to something higher, something better. And it's just as Jordan Peterson says. I mean, nobody, he's in his clinical practices, Practice. He has never seen anyone get away with anything, not even once. I mean, that's, that's profound. In his clinical practice, nobody's gotten away with anything, not even once. Things have a way of, of coming right back at us. And the scriptures talk about because the penalty for sin doesn't happen immediately, it causes men to do all the more evil. Because it's not like that thing, as he says, snaps back in our face instantly. Because it doesn't snap back in our face instantly, it causes us to walk in greater sin. And it exposes the sin of our heart. But these things do revisit us. And I'm just going by what the scripture says. He is the one who's calling us. Because it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. He's calling us to be something greater. But like the Holy One who called you, 
be holy yourselves also in all your behavior. Verse 15 of 1 Peter chapter 1. Because it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. We are to be holy because God himself is holy. Let's pray. Abba, Father, thank you for the truth of your word. Father, if there be some here that would want to harden their hearts because I've said something that has offended them, Father, I pray that they would not take offense at you or at your word. Father, I pray that they would walk uprightly before you. Father, draw them to Jesus, I pray. Draw them to Jesus. Father, I pray that you would cause these young people to walk in holiness, to walk in an attitude of holiness, to prepare their minds to be sober in spirit, to be serious in their walk, in what they are going to do. Father, I pray that you would draw them to yourself and that they would see that you are a holy God calling them to a different lifestyle that they would not practice even within their own homes, even within their own rooms, the things that they used to practice. Father, have mercy on these young people. And Lord, have mercy on me, because I fall so short. I fall so short. Have mercy on me, I pray, Lord. And Father, I pray for your strength upon them, that you would give them good homes and good marriages, and that the peace and the blessing of God would be with them the glory of Jesus be upon them. And Lord, through all of this, let your Son be glorified and let us walk in holiness because you, Lord, are holy. Blessed be your name, O Lord. Amen.